MD Notified, a pediatrics podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Christine Sufchuk, and today we're going to be talking about PCAs, or patient-controlled analgesia. Joining us, we have Dr. Nadine Najjar, who is a future pediatric intensivist. Dr. Najjar, thank you for joining us. Thanks so much for having me again. Today, we're going to tackle the large and looming topic for a lot of interns of PCAs. Yes, and this can be very intimidating for interns especially because, um, you know, we don't learn a lot about these in medical school. We're not managing these as medical students, so it can be kind of scary. Yeah, I know when I was an intern, I was scared of PCAs. Oh, yeah, terrified. Terrified. So um, I guess first we should start with talking about, like, who gets a PCA? Yeah, and I think, um, you know, in general... The people that get PCAs are the people that can't be managed with doses that are given, you know, every two hours, every three hours, every four hours. And they need a constant flow, uh, a continuous infusion of pain medicine. And that could be due to a variety of things. So um, sometimes these uh, PCAs are used in the post-op period for pain. Particularly at our institution, we have a pretty large population of patients with sickle cell disease, and sometimes we need to use PCAs uh, for children who are experiencing pretty severe pain episodes um, related to their sickle cell disease. And another example that we see often is using it to control discomfort related to um, side effects of chemotherapy. Um, So for example, some chemotherapy drugs can cause very, you know, severe mucositis that requires pretty significant pain control. Mm-hmm. And you know what? It just occurred to me that some people who are listening may not even know what a PCA is. Yeah, yeah. So PCA, as you said, it uh, stands for patient-controlled analgesia. Usually there's two components to it. So there's a basal or continuous infusion of whichever IV medicine you choose. It could be, you know, morphine, it could be Dilaudid. Um, There are some other options as well, but generally we prescribe a basal rate, um, which is always, you know, in the background. And then the patient has a button that they can push to deliver doses of that IV pain medicine as well. And that's where the patient-controlled piece of it kind of comes into play. So they have control over when they want more pain medicine. Mm-hmm. There are two flavors of PCAs. One is the classic PCA where you have a patient-controlled, mm-hmm. which meaning you have the patient has a button and they're pushing the button. And then every time they push the button, in theory, they get a dose of pain medicine. And then for our younger kids, sometimes we'll use something called nursing-controlled analgesia, which is where the nurse actually has a button, and they will press it and in that fashion deliver a a dose of pain medicine to the patient. So we usually use that in kids who are a little bit younger um, and who aren't maybe, like, age-appropriate to be handed a button. I mean, we we know in pediatrics, Mm -hmm. you hand a kid a button under a certain age, they will push that button no matter what. Yes. (laughs) Pushing buttons can be fun. And, um, you know, of course, in this situation, it can be pretty dangerous. Yeah. So I wouldn't give, and this is a little provider dependent, you know, like different people have different levels of comfort. And it's also a little patient dependent. If you have a very mature six or seven year old, you might be able to give them a PCA or someone who's well versed in 
the medical world, like a patient who's chronically ill, like a cancer patient, they may be a little bit more aware of what pain is and, you know, be developmentally able to push the button. But in general, we usually only use patient-controlled for kids who are six or seven or older. I've also heard people say they won't use it for anybody who's younger than eight. So really in that older school age age group is when we start using these PCAs for therapy. Um, and I think this goes without saying, and we touched on this in the last episode, but if you are thinking about starting a patient on a PCA, it is imperative that that patient is on continuous monitoring um, because you want to monitor for any sort of over-sedation or respiratory depression. Yeah, I think the main things that you want to think about outside of your actual pain management dosing and how you're going to give it and things like that. A, making sure your patient's just like you said, not over sedated, making sure that they're taking nice deep breaths. We know that kids who are in pain, sometimes they don't take as deep of breaths and that can lead to atelectasis. It can lead to pneumonia. Um, and, and really we try and prevent that with some incentive spirometry, um, which is the little plastic device that they blow into. We also sometimes think about adding preemptively medications like Benadryl or Atarax or Nubane in tiny doses to prevent things like itching or to be there in case the patient develops side effects of itching. Yeah, absolutely. Um, That's a pretty common side effect, so um, we try to get ahead of that. Another thing that is also a very common side effect um, with the use of opioids is constipation. So um, for any child who is going to be on opioids, we try to uh, prescribe a bowel regimen, um, including, you know, Miralax or Senna or Colace, just to prevent that constipation from occurring because that can create more problems. So if we have this patient who's in pain and we've already thought about all of these things that may happen and we've determined that they're a good candidate, they're on a good bowel regimen, we preemptively ordered them, you know, the incentive spirometry, and we're really setting up to move on towards um, starting them on a PCA, how do we start, how do we start doing that? What's the first thing you look for? Yeah, so um, the first thing that I usually look for, I'll do a quick chart review and see if the patient has been on a PCA in the past. Looking at previous dosing can be helpful in determining current dosing. Yeah, definitely. A lot of kids who come in with chronic pain or kids who are on chemotherapy or kids who have um, sickle cell, those kids have had experiences with these things before. And oftentimes what has worked once might work again. Absolutely. But sometimes uh, you may not be in that situation and that's okay. There are other ways to calculate dosing for the PCA. One place to start is by calculating the total dose of an IV opioid that your patient is already getting in a 24-hour period. So generally, the patients that are started on a PCA have been on an IV opioid scheduled, and it hasn't really been working for them. Um, So in order to move them to a PCA, we calculate how much of that IV opioid they've gotten or are expected to get in a 24-hour period, and we divide that by 24 to get a basal rate. And that's that continuous infusion that I was talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. And then after we've calculated the 24-hour basal rate, which is really just 
smoothing out all those intermittent doses over a 24-hour period, Mm -hmm. you would add their patient-controlled dose, which is the amount of medication that they're going to get every time they push the button. And usually we'll start off with about 50% of the basal rate is a good place to start with your patient-controlled dose. So, for example, if you have a patient who's getting, you know, 0.5 milligrams of morphine per hour, you might start out with a patient-controlled dose of 0.25 because that's half of your hourly dose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Um, one thing to remember is when you are starting a PCA, generally your patients are in a bit of pain already. So it is a good idea to give your patient a bolus to control their pain and try to get ahead of it um, and then start that basal rate. This sort of thing can be difficult to understand without, um, you know, having a patient right in front of you and maybe uh, working through an example. So we could work through one now. Yeah, sure. Um, So say you have a patient who is nine years old and he has uncontrolled pain. He's on morphine already. He's getting morphine four milligrams Q4 and that's not cutting it. So we want to go to a PCA. He's not opioid naive. He has received opioids in the past, and we want to move him to PCA. So what would be the first step? So first you'd say, okay, this kid is getting four milligrams of morphine every four hours. Mm -hmm. So in a 24-hour period, he's getting six doses. Six doses of four milligrams gives you a total of 24 milligrams over a 24-hour period. If we wanted to smooth that out over a 24-hour period, we would do 24 divided by 24, and we'd get a basal rate of one milligram an hour. So that would be where I would start with his basal rate. Mm -hmm. And then using the rule of 50%, I would say we would maybe start with 0.5 milligrams uh, morphine as our patient-controlled dose. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as we're getting things set up and we're ordering this PCA, like we mentioned before, it's a good idea to give a bolus prior to initiation. So I would probably give this patient a 0.1 mg per kilo bolus of morphine. I agree. Another thing we want to talk about with PCAs is that there's always a lockout interval. So you can't hand a kid or anyone a button and have them be able to push it as many times as they want and just continuously get more boluses. Mm -hmm. So these pumps have this safety feature where if you push the button and you get a delivery, it'll stop you from getting any more deliveries within a certain time frame. Um, At our institution, it's about 10 to 15 minutes, um, and that's what we call the lockout interval. So when you are ordering this pump, that's going to be one of the things that kind of comes up in your order set, and you'll fill it out what you want your lockout interval to be. And then we also have something that's called a four-hour dose limit. So if you calculate the total possible pain medicine that that patient would be able to receive, let's say your lockout interval is 15 minutes. In theory, if the patient pushed the button every time they were able to, they would push the button every 15 minutes because that's your lockout period. You get one, de- one delivery per 15 minutes. Um, so that's four times an hour. Over four hours, that's 16 pushes, so 16 times your patient-controlled dose, plus the amount of medicine that you're getting over the four-hour basal rate. Mm -hmm. So that would be, for this child, he's getting one milligram an hour times four hours, that's four milligrams. 
his patient control dose is 0.5. If he pushed it every 15 minutes for four hours, that would be 0.5 times 16. And you add those two numbers together and you get 12. So as you're going through the order set and you're kind of figuring out what exactly you're ordering for your patient, when it asks you what your four hour dose limit would be, that's how you would calculate it and that's the value that you would get. Yeah, so that was um, a great example of starting a patient on a PCA when they have already been on morphine scheduled and it's not working. It is not controlling their pain. Um, there are some situations, though, where we would just go ahead and start the PCA um, right away. So for kids who are starting off on a PCA and that you don't have that morphine or that scheduled medicine to go off of and do your calculations off of, we typically use a basal dose of 0.01 to 0.03 milligrams per kilo per hour. The way I think about this is, you know, and we're assuming that this is all morphine, right? We're, the morphine is the most common medication that we use in our PCAs. Um, I think that's probably true at most children's hospitals across the country. So all these examples, we're using morphine as our, as our example medication. Um, and that's true for this dosing as well. So I think about it as if you're giving a child a dose of morphine that you might give every four hours, mm -hmm. that dose of morphine is typically something like 0.05 to 0.1 per kilo. And if you divide that out over an hour, you would get something similar to this, which is 0.01 to 0.03 per kilo per hour. So that's kind of where this dosing sort of comes from. And I would say I usually cap out at about one milligram per hour as a starting dose. Would yeah. you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I think it's really important to remember that, you know, you can start low and increase your dose and you can give give more depending on the patient's response, but you can't take it away once it's given. So um, if you start with a larger dose, you could end up you know, causing things like over sedation and respiratory depression and all those side effects that we mentioned earlier that we really want to avoid. Yeah. So I think it's a really smart strategy to start on the conservative side and then trend up mm -hmm. as opposed to just coming out all guns blazing. Like yeah. that's maybe <laughs> not your best option. Yes. Yes. <laughs> And then I think for patient control dose, again, for this, I would calculate your basal, mm -hmm. and then I would cut it in half and start with that. Start with your basal at, at 0.01 to 0.03 milligrams per kilo per hour, depending on if your patient's opioid naive or opioid not naive, mm -hmm. and then cut it in half and start there for your, um, for your patient control dose. I think some providers will sometimes match the bolus dose mm -hmm. with the basal dose. And this is probably something that varies institution to institution. There are no hard and fast rules on how to come up with your PCA dosing. These are just general guidelines. Um, and so you may see this vary kind of a little bit institution to institution. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you want to do an example for this as well? Yeah, sure. So let's see. Say we have a teenager 
who weighs about 50 kilos, and this teenager got into a car accident and has to have major surgery. And when she wakes up after surgery, you want to start her on a PCA. She's opioid naive, um, previously healthy. So what would you start in this situation? So this is a 50 kilo teen, and she's opioid naive. So mm-hmm. I would probably start maybe on the lower end. Mm-hmm. She's also going to be waking up from anesthesia, which can also cause a little bit of respiratory depression and mm-hmm. things like that. So I would kind of want to start off a little bit more conservative. We don't know. She's never been exposed to these medications before. So I would err on the smaller side. And I would say maybe 0.01 per kilo per hour, um, which in a 50 kilo person would be about a half. So mm-hmm. 0.5 milligrams per hour. That's our basal dose. And then cut that in half for the patient-controlled dose. You wind up with 0.25 milligrams per dose. And then, as always, you would want to bolus her before you start the PCA if she's in pain. Um, But that's kind of where my mind would be in terms of coming up with her numbers. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, in this situation, similar to other situations, her lockout interval would be, you know, 10 to 15 minutes So you might be kind of thinking like, wow, our 50 kilo teen is getting less than our nine-year-old in our previous example. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's true. Sometimes we see kids who are teenagers who are on fairly low dose and it works well for them. Sometimes we see younger kids who are on higher doses who have been exposed to multiple opioid medications in their lives. And that's what they need. And Mm so, you know, we really go based on how our patients respond and titrate as needed. So... So that's exactly right. And I think that really leads us nicely into this discussion on how we make adjustments. So how do you approach um, increasing their dose? Yeah, and this is a great question and also something that really scared me as an intern, you know, thinking about increasing these opioid doses and possibly causing harm. But um, it's important to think about um, what your patient needs. And a good way to um, think about that is looking at what they're doing with their PCA. So like we mentioned, there's that basal rate, but there's also this button that they can push. um, And if you're having a patient who isn't really pushing their button at all, but is complaining of pain, um, one place to start would be to encourage them to actually use the PCA. And I have found that um, this is more common in patients who maybe aren't familiar with the PCA, who are a little bit nervous about it. Um, They may be a little bit reluctant to push the button. Another thing that's really helpful when you have a PCA is you know, we can go into the electronic medical record and we can look at what we call demands and deliveries. Mm -hmm. Demands means how many times the patient is actually pushing the button. Mm -hmm. And deliveries is how many of those um, times that they push the button did they actually receive medication or receive a bolus dose. So if you have a child who's in acute pain, you can imagine, as this is something that I would probably do, they would push the button And then it doesn't take effect immediately. Morphine is not instantaneous. So even if they get that medication, it can take a couple of minutes for the medication to kick in. So during that few subsequent minutes, they may push it 10 more times because they're like, is this thing working? (laughs) You know, and then and then they finally get that medication. And that's the whole purpose behind the lockout period. They don't you don't want to have your kid accidentally overdosing themselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. But it is really helpful when you look at how those demands and deliveries are spaced out over time. So for me, if I have a patient who's pushing the button a lot and a lot of the demands aren't being met, 
Sometimes it's a good idea to increase the basal dose because you don't want to have them using the button that often. Mm-hmm. But sometimes, kind of in contrast to that, you have kids who push the button very frequently and they do it in spurts where they like push, 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 and then they get their delivery and then they're comfortable. Um, and you can either approach that by re-educating them and say, you know, hey, it's coming. Or, you know, if they're pushing a lot in a short amount of time and that one dose really wasn't cutting it, you may want to go up on their patient control dose to better control their pain. So it really depends on that conversation that you have with your patient as far as, you know, how you approach increasing either the patient control dose or the basal dose. But I mean, when we're going up on our doses, do you have a rule of thumb for like how much you go up by or how do you do that? Yeah. Yeah. I think a safe rule of thumb is to increase your dose by 20%, um, whether that's the basal or the patient control dose. Mm-hmm. And if you have a patient who's really in pain, Sometimes I bolus them again because mm-hmm. really with pain, you want to get them in a steady state, happy place for a while and before you start weaning them back down. So if they're really having uncontrolled pain, you can bolus them off the pump. Yeah, absolutely. Especially if, you know, on your assessment, they are stable from a cardiovascular and respiratory standpoint. And that kind of leads to reasons why we might want to decrease our doses One of the main reasons, and I know we've harped on this a few times, but the reason we have is because it's pretty important, Mm -hmm. is that um, if your patient is over-sedated to the point um, that it's causing respiratory depression, then that is definitely a reason to really stop your PCA, Um, not even just decrease the dose, but stop your PCA. And that's why it's really important for these patients to be on continuous monitoring. We want to keep an eye on their oxygen saturations. We want to keep an eye on their respiratory rate. One thing that we didn't mention earlier, but is really important to remember, is keeping um, Narcan on the MAR. And Narcan is basically the reversal for um, the reversal agent for opioids. But there's also a situation where you want to decrease the dose for a good reason, right? Yeah. <laughs> like if your patient's getting better. Yeah. You treated them, they got their surgery or whatever was going on has slowly resolved and you they're still sitting on their patient controlled you know analgesia and and you're like okay well how do i get off of this now how do you how do you go backwards <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah so um, the way that i think about this is i want to i want to try to get them towards a um, kind of like a schedule for their morphine or opioid doses. So similar to how we, you know, dose IV morphine every three hours, every four hours, I want to move my patient in that direction. So a good way to start is by decreasing the basal. Yes, exactly. And that way you're, they're purely, or they're more often relying on their patient controlled dosing. Mm -hmm. So For me, I use the same rule of thumb of 20%, both when I go up and when I go down on my dosing. So if I have a kid who looks amazing, their pain is getting better, they feel great, and I feel like they're in a really good spot and we're able to decrease their dose, I'll decrease their basal dose by about 20, maybe 25%. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I'll keep doing that 
until they get to a total four-hour dose of less than 0.1 milligrams per kilo, mm-hmm. um, which would be a typical dose that we would give in like a... So if you were ordering morphine for someone, you would order them 0.1 mg per kg every four hours, PRN. So once we're below that kind of threshold, it's maybe a safe idea to convert to PO or by mouth pain medication. Would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree with that. So I think that's kind of a good framework to kind of have in your mind is that the dosing that you give on a Q4 hour basis is the threshold for which you want to be below before you switch back to oral therapy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a trick that we got from our um, hematologist. Yes, our wonderful hematologists who are... Um, very experienced in working with PCAs. Yes, in the sickle cell population. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So so those are just some tips on kind of how to go up and how to go down on PCAs, um, how to start them. I think some of the highlights that we talked about, we discussed always going back through the chart and looking at uh, previous dosing because that can be super helpful. kind of adding up your 24-hour dose if you're already on scheduled opioids and then using that as your starting point for your basal rate. In general, we also cut our basal rate in half um, to come up with our original patient-controlled dose. Mm -hmm. And then from there, when we go up and down, we usually use the rule of 20% where we go up by 20% or down by 20% depending on what we're adjusting and what our patient needs. So those are kind of like the high points um, and then finally, of course, we decrease until our four-hour total dose of pain medication is less than 0.1 per kilo. Um, and then at that point, we may be ready to convert back down to oral therapy. So these are um, really useful and I think really intimidating topics for mm-hmm. a lot of people. Um, so thank you, Dr. Najar, for joining us. I really think this was a great and very useful episode. Yeah, thank you for having me. And again, this is MD Notified. And we will see you guys next week. Thanks for listening to MD Notified, a pediatric podcast. References to the information sourced in this episode can be found in the Quick Notes outline, which is available on mdnotified.com. The contributors to MD Notified have no financial disclosures or conflicts of interest. The views, information, or opinions expressed are solely those of the individuals in today's episode and do not represent any other organizations or its employees. The primary purpose of this podcast is to inform and educate. This podcast does not constitute medical or professional advice or services. If you are a member of the general public and have questions, please make an appointment with your local board-certified pediatrician.